0: GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer
1: Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture Coming up on today's program Canada's senior climatologist David Phillips releases his top 10 list of weather events for 2022 tomorrow afternoon He says it's been a very different year for weather compared to 2021 and we'll hear from David Phillips on today's program We'll also have a weekly overview of the wheat market. It's been provided by Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. And we'll be back with Tammy Windsor, a graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan. She's conducting research into the provincial cougar population. And, of course, we heard from her yesterday. We'll have the rest of our interview with her today. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX and Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your REMAX Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather with Phil Spivak from Precision Weather. Phil, it's pretty sunny here at the moment, but the
2: temperatures are still quite chilly. Yeah, there's not a whole lot of... uh... Cloudiness around. There could be a couple of flurries from time to time. I should say there's plenty of cloudiness around. There's not a lot of thicker cloudiness around. There are plenty of spots between those clouds where the the sun is breaking through. Watching the the potential for a few flurries through the afternoon. There's still this uh, upper level energy that's hanging around and it's uh, keeping the instability in place. I'm not seeing anything of any consequence uh, right now. Looking around, pretty dry. The thing is the flurries that. Uh, I expect would fall this afternoon. Should any fall in any given spot, are going to be the kind we're not going to see on radar anyway. That's just uh, pretty light stuff, expected nuisance type flurries. So uh, that threat is there, but again, the the bigger issue is the cold, the extreme cold warning in effect. I mentioned yesterday the the wind chill at times would get close to minus 40, and that's likely tonight. Even though uh, we're not there now, we're not much better, and and there's not that much difference between minus 38 and minus 40 as far as the wind chill goes you may know, maybe get an extra uh, minute or so before frostbite kicks in either way it's very cold it is uh, dangerously cold when any kind of wind picks up because of that wind chill unexposed skin so um, uh, probably if you've uh, even looked outside you don't need to be told to bundle up but uh, I'll, I'll remind you anyway minus 24 this afternoon is the high the wind in the 10 to 20 range keeps that wind chill under minus 30, mostly under minus 35 through the day. Tonight, partly to mostly cloudy, minus 30. The wind chill does dip to or below minus 40 at times tonight. And tomorrow, cloud and sunshine mixed. will be around 23. Very slightly higher wind tomorrow should balance out that extra degree, keeping the wind chill at minus 35 or so. Flurries may roll back in Wednesday night. That is actually a uh, some subtle push of warm air. We won't notice any difference. We may rise a degree or two during the night. We'll actually be up a few degrees during the night, Wednesday night. I think because of the magnitude of this push of warm air, it's more the cloudiness that will hold us up than anything else. Not so much uh, the warm air itself. It's a negligible difference. Minus 25 below the wind, though, up 15 to 30. And that means the wind chill still very close to minus 40 through the night. Thursday, we could see a little improvement It's relative, we're up to minus 21, and the reason that's improvement is because the wind chill is over minus 35, still very bitterly cold, still in uh, dangerous territory before too long. The trend, though, is up a bit. We're not uh, going to see normal, I don't think, looking ahead uh, through the week ahead. There's a lot of cold air really stacked up. Uh, So by midweek, we do run a chance for getting some of that in. But uh, for early week, we are still below normal. We're at minus 23 on Friday, minus 19 on Saturday. Could be a bit of light snow to close out the weekend for Christmas Day. Um, Beyond that, the uh, temperatures I mentioned later week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, should at least get back toward normal. That's Phil Spivak from Precision
1: Weather. Temperatures around the region this hour. The Paw is at minus 26 degrees. Swan River and Dauphin minus 24. Brandon minus 28. Shoal Lake Russell minus 29. Roblin minus 27. Regina is at minus 32 degrees. Saskatoon minus 31. Hudson Bay minus 26. Broadview-Mooseman, Indian Head, minus 30. Winyard-Wadena-Kelvington, minus 27. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky, a west-northwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 70% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 26 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 37 degrees. Yesterday, Yorkton reached a high of minus 24 degrees and dropped to a low of minus 27 degrees. There was a trace of snow that fell in the 24-hour period ending at midnight last night. The normal high for this date is minus 12 degrees. The normal low is minus 22 degrees. The sun rose in Yorkton at 8.51 this morning and it will set at 4.44 this afternoon. Extreme temperatures for Manitoba and Saskatchewan yesterday. The Manitoba hotspot was Sprague at minus 16 degrees. The cold spot, Tadouli Lake, at minus 35 degrees. The Saskatchewan hotspot yesterday was Broadview at minus 21 degrees. The cold spot was Valmarie at minus 37 degrees. And that's a look at your agriculture weather. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will return in one minute's time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Canada's senior climatologist David Phillips releases his top 10 list of weather events for 2022 tomorrow afternoon. Phillips says it's been a different year for weather compared to 2021.
0: Well, you know, it was an interesting year. I mean, I was so focused on last year with it was like the, you know, the killer heat and the, the terrible droughts and the flooding in British Columbia and the forest fires. I mean, it was uh, a dramatic and spectacular last year. I thought, well, wow, this year is is kind of going to be tame in a way. Well, I mean, it wasn't tame. It was not as eventful. And I think it certainly, but it was, you know, try telling people in farmers in, in parts of eastern Saskatchewan to in Manitoba that, hey, um, their precipitation, uh, rain and snow this year was was normal, or the last three years has been normal. Well, anything but normal, I mean, what they've had is two of the driest two years on record, followed by the wettest year on record. So, I mean, that can average out to be normal, but it was anything. You don't have successful farming when you're, when you have those kinds of that variability. So, I think this year, a couple of things, it was a lot of storms this year. You know, last year, if we had more storms, it might have not been as a uh, as a, an impactful year, but this year we had, of course, the uh, Fiona the hurricane. We had wild winds in Ontario and in and on the prairies. I think July was kind sort of a wow well, for me, uh, a really stormy month. So we had, I think, there were four super storms, supercell storms that just wouldn't leave you alone. Uh, affected the the prairies, and uh, in fact, if you looked at the, the the damage from those storms, and they were they had rain and they had strong winds and lightning and hail, and, and it was just a really uh, devastating kind of a situation. And if you total all the property damage, not crop damage, that's something separate. I mean, I'm sure it was a big hit in terms of crops, but in terms of just property damage, it was a quarter of a billion dollars, those four storms uh, together. And so they were the perfect kind of setup. You had that heat and humidity from the states, you had storms coming across the top, and then, of course, you had crops growing first time in a long time because June was a wet that month that you could have actually some evaporation taking place, which, of course, fuels the swarms. And so there were a, a number of big events. I remember uh, the... Um uh, the the uh, at the Craven uh, is it the uh, j- big, the Jamboree there or the 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 uh, country music festival? I mean, it was more like a sea of mud out there from these, these really heavy amounts of rain and hail. My gosh, it was just uh, bombarded uh, and tornadoes. I mean, Saskatchewan had twenty-four tornadoes this year. I mean, I think Manitoba had five and alberta had maybe 12 so all of the action was from tornadoes now they were little guys but my gosh there was one day i think was june the uh, june 29th there were six tornadoes in the province broke out and another family of tornadoes at the last uh, near the end of july and and then uh, two days later uh there was a uh, hailstone not not in in saskatchewan but in alberta that was the size of get this the hailstone, the size of a DVD. I mean, come on! It was one. It was the the largest hailstone ever in Canada and one of the largest in the world. So there were a lot of storminess, but also I think the other thing that I think stood out for me was the the return of hot, dry weather under the dome. We've heard about the dome last year. My gosh, it came in June, lasted 12 days, killed 600 Canadians. And uh, but the dome this year came much later. It was more in mid August and to to October it provided kind of a, a really a beautiful fall. And I think farmers in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, who were complaining about all of the wet weather they got, and they said, you know, we couldn't plant for, you know, for four weeks. And, in fact, we're going to plant whatever we can plant when we can get on the fields. You couldn't get on the fields to plow or to plant. And uh, seeding was, you know, four weeks later in some places. And then so farmers were saying to me, you know, what we really need is a really late harvest harvest, you know, because otherwise we're not going to have any chances, not enough growing uh, uh, days to, uh, to create. well, nature heard your prayers, and because what it produced was really one of the most gorgeous falls on record. In fact, uh, residents in Saskatchewan and Alberta were saying, you know, when they're used to September cold and snow in September and October, they called it autumn. It was so warm and wonderful, great for harvesting, and so the crop was harvested this year and not uh, not the fall year. I think one other story from the prairies that kind of uh, hit uh, hit home to me was how cold it was at the beginning of the year, from really Christmas until in the new year, there were some really really cold conditions. I think in in, in Regina, for example, uh, there was a, a temperature on that uh, on December the 28th, the end of the year, it was minus 39 degrees. I mean. Matter what Celsius or Fahrenheit, the same. It's the same unit. uh, Minus thirty nine degrees, and then that was certainly the coldest moment since 1884 on that particular day. So it was cold. began the fall was kind of uh, dark and dank and damp at times, and June rains came like they do, and they did also in July, and then boy, things dried.
1: David Phillips is the senior climatologist with Environment Canada. Coming up a little later on in the program, he discusses this week's weather as well as the winter outlook. But it's time now for the Beef and Forage Report, and that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty, your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620-7260 or visit lanerealty.com. Beef and Forage Report. Federal Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibault has announced that the fourth payment under the Dairy Direct Payment Program is now available to dairy producers. Dairy farmers will receive compensation payments based on their milk quota. For example, the owner of an 80-head dairy farm will receive $38,000 in direct payment compensation. The compensation for this fourth round of payments totals up to $468 million. To get their payment, producers must register through the Canadian Dairy Commission before March 31, 2023. Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada has mailed letters to all eligible dairy producers with instructions on the application process This fourth payment completes full and fair compensation to dairy producers for the impact of the Canada-European Union Comprehensive Economic and Trade Agreement and the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. The Government of Canada recently announced compensation of up to $1.2 billion over six years under the program to account for the impacts of the Canada-United States-Mexico Agreement. And that's today's Beef and Forage report. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review Seeds and pesticides company Corteva will eliminate U.S. jobs next year, as its exit from Russia reduces demand for its commercial sunflower seeds produced in California. Corteva will cut 51 positions from a woodland California facility run by its pioneer hybrid international subsidiary that supplied Europe and Russia markets, according to California's Worker Adjustment and Retraining Notification Act data last week. Relocating commercial sunflower seed production to Europe for European customers will reduce costs. The layoffs show ripple effects from corporate decisions to quit Russia after its invasion of Ukraine. Corteva said in April it would withdraw from Russia. In September it announced plans to exit about 35 countries and lay off about 5% of its global workforce to cut costs. Manitoba and Ottawa are investing in green ag technology. Through the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, the two levels of government are investing $300,000 in fuel positive to bring a green ammonia production system to a Manitoba farm. Tracy and Curtis Hebert will have a system on their 11,000-acre farm in Spurling and use it to fertilize their land in the spring of 2023. The system will be housed in three 20-foot containers, require bulk ammonia storage tanks, and a comprehensive safety system, including cameras, lights, and fencing. The couple signed a letter of intent with Fuel Positive in April of this year. The green ammonia can also be used to dry grain, heat buildings, and fuel machinery. McDonald's Canada and 4H Canada have launched the National Youth Scholarship Program as part of the next iteration of a relationship between the two organizations. The program includes 16 scholarships totaling up to $80,000 over two years, beginning in 2023. Candidates include senior youth leaders from across the country, focusing on advancing work and sustainability and educational pursuits in agriculture. The leadership development pillars of 4-H Canada, sustainable agriculture and food security, science and technology, the environment and healthy living, community engagement and communications are all areas that are incredibly relevant and important to the current generation of youth and which align with the concerns of Canada's government, global community, as well as McDonald's Canada. The McDonald's Canada and 4 H Canada National Youth Scholarships will be awarded in 2023 and 2024. During this time, the partnership will also see McDonald's Canada joining the 4 H Canada Leadership Awards as a supporting sponsor. The Alberta Government has launched a five year Economic Development in Rural Alberta program focused on key issues for rural Alberta. The plan includes economic development enabling infrastructure, rural business supports and entrepreneurship, support for labor force and skills development, marketing and promoting rural tourism, and rural economic development capacity building. Alberta Agriculture Minister, Nate Horner, says designing the program began over a year ago with discussions between rural Albertan businesses and the provincial government. He says the plan is rooted in ensuring rural Albertans get the opportunity to participate in the province's ongoing economic revival. The plan has been developed with consideration and understanding for how complicated economic development is in rural communities. Horner notes this plan is a pledge from the government to collaborate and consider rural Alberta when making policy. A livestock photographer and rancher in east-central Saskatchewan is using her photo-taking talents to support a mental health organization. Erin Yusuk, owner of Erin Yusuk Photography and who ranches with her husband Eric in Winyard, has created the New Year Country 2023 calendar to support the Do More Ag Foundation. Calendars are available for $25.00. And Yousiuk is donating all proceeds from the calendar sales to the organization. Anyone across Canada can order a calendar. Yousiuk is accepting orders through her website or from her directly by calling or texting 306-560-7449. For Saskatchewan residents, calendars can also be picked up at the CNC Tire location in Foam Lake. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back in 30 seconds time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Faulkner. It's sunny and minus 26 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Environment Canada's senior climatologist says this week's bitterly cold weather... Will only last a few days, David Phillips says. Temperatures will start to moderate this Christmas weekend.
0: Well, we certainly see the week before Christmas. Boy, it's really been. It's going to be really cold. I mean, we're seeing temperatures that in uh, in in Saskatchewan. I mean, should typically in southern Saskatchewan should be a high of about minus nine. Well, we're going to see highs of minus twenty four, minus twenty two, minus twenty six. The lows are a little lower than you'd you'd see, maybe into the high. minus 20s or early uh, low minus 30s, where you normally would see about a minus 21. So clearly going to be cold, but here's the good news. My gosh, we see a warm-up. We think the the week before Christmas could very well be your coldest moment of the winter. I looked at the maps this morning and for January across the prairies, across all of Canada, it shows a warm, warm, warm. Now, not July warmth, no, but certainly milder than normal. And we see that going on. So I think the the worst, the toughest part of winter is behind you. Now, the only thing I would wor- I would be concerned about is the dry conditions. The fall there was no recharge, uh, very little, and so what you really want is some some moisture. So. Snow would be white gold to growers and farmers and and, uh, maybe not to commuters, but certainly we need that. It's good for the economy. And you don't lose your crop in January, but, my gosh, you'd like to have some of that moisture to fill out the dugouts and sloughs and potholes. So my sense is that we see it warmer than normal. Precipitation, my gosh, you know, it's always hard to get precipitation right. But, you know, there's some maps that are showing a little wetter than normal, a little bit more snow, and if it's a wet snow, that's even better, because there's more moisture associated with that, so a little hard to say, but I think it's not going to be the La Nina Siberian kind of Polar Express kind of winter, that we've had a few bits of it already, hey, that'll come back, I mean, we'll see some cold, I mean, I'm not telling you it's going to have a protracted january thaw from january the first to to the end of april no 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 i mean there'll be moments that will you wish you were somewhere else but i don't think it's going to be the relentless kind of cold that december has kind of been i think we're going to see some more pacific air southerly air and less arctic and polar and siberia david
1: phillips is the senior climatologist with environment canada it's time now for the livestock market conditions and their presentation of Heartland Livestock in Verdun. Livestock market conditions. US live cattle futures for February are trading at 15575 this hour. That's down 30. April live cattle trading at 15985 down 7. January feeder cattle trading at 183.90, up 180. March feeder cattle trading at 185.15, up 135. February lean hogs trading at 84.12, down 157. April lean hogs trading at 92.02, down 97. And that's the livestock market conditions. A weekly overview of the wheat market has been provided by Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture. It was issued through the Saskatchewan Wheat
3: Development Commission yesterday afternoon. Markets are clearly scaling down towards the holidays, and fresh news are becoming scarce. We are also down to the final week before Christmas, and trading volume is dropping by the day as everyone prepares for the holidays. Regarding cash markets, There was some business done, with especially Algeria and Tunisia, trying to get booked before the holiday period. So Algeria's OAIC bought up to 540,000 tons of milling wheat in a tender last Wednesday at 348 to 349 US per metric ton. That was $7 less per ton than the purchase at the previous tender. Most of the tonnage will come from the EU, Russia and Ukraine, but some could also be supplied from France. Tunisia also bought 125,000 tons of Canadian durum wheat for Genfab 23 shipment and 504 to 514 per metric ton. Japan bought about 200,000 tons of Australian, Canadian, US wheat. And Iraq pushed its US, Canada, Australia tender back to Sunday and we expect Iraq to have bought 50,000 tons of wheat. The US weekly export sales amounted to 469,000 tons, which was above trade gases, but the season total of 518 million bushel remains 7% lower than last year's. So here's some news by major wheat origin, starting with Canada. Well milling wheat bits on the prairies have recovered somewhat with most bits around 1175 a bushel. But we're also moving into the final week before Christmas and volumes are fading fast. In the markets, as mentioned, Japan booked 155,000 tons of wheat from the US, Canada and Australia with 66,000 dedicated to the US. The Canadian export performance uh, uh, was pretty good. Wheat movement remains brisk with 526,000 tons of wheat delivered during week 19 and 337,000 tons loaded for export in the week. Season total exports of Canadian wheat are 7 million tons compared to 4.5 last year. At the current pace, we will export about 19.3 million tons this crop year, but supplies we think could accommodate 20.5 to 21 million tons of wheat exports. We expect wheat prices to be a little, a little bit stronger in the new year, as the balance sheet remains tight for international wheat and Russian prices should rally. We would wait with new sales until the new year. Durham bits in Saskatchewan moved up a touch as well, and they're mostly posted around 1350 to 1360 per bushel delivered elevator. We note that in international markets, as mentioned, Tunisia bought another 125,000 tons of Durham for Jan shipment, and we suspect the sales still work back to around 1450 per bushel elevator Saskatchewan. Durham prices posted in Bologna, Italy, dropped by 5 euros a ton to 470 euros per ton, which works per ton, which was down about five bucks for the week. However, as we mentioned, trading activity is closing down towards Christmas. Canadian Durham exports for week 19 were at 96,000 tons, for a year-to-date total of 1.7 million. That compares to 1.1 last year to date. Durham export shipments have picked up over November, December, but still only average 91,000 per week. AFC expects 5 million tons of Durham exports for the crop year, but we would like to see them move to 5.2 to 5.3 million tons. That would keep ending stocks closer to what they were last year. We would target additional sales at around 14 dollars a bushel for number one quarts or 13.85 for number three regarding the u.s we already mentioned a reduced exposure of funds in the hardware winter market u.s weekly export sales of 469,000 tons were above trade guesses, but the season total remained seven percent below last year's volume regarding u.s winter wheat Aside from rains in southeast Kansas, much of the drought conditions in the high plains remain the same. Rain and snow did help improve conditions throughout Idaho, southwest Montana, and the growing areas of the Columbia River Gorge in Washington, Oregon. Futures will be thin over the holidays. In Australia, Wheat futures at the first positive week over the past six weeks. And in Argentina, the Rosario Grain Exchange lowered their wheat crop estimate by 300,000 tons to 11.5 million tons, which compares to the USDA estimate of 12.5 million. They, They cited abandonment. Uh, acres at 900,000 hectares from a total of 5.9 million hectares planted. The Argentine harvest is still just 54% complete compared to 70% on average at this time. The good to excellent ratings increased by 2% to 10% good to excellent, but this remains well below last year's 81%. This crop needs watching. Regarding China, there are questions what the new less restrictive COVID policies in China will mean for demand from that country. China reported its first two deaths since it began dismantling its zero-COVID policy, but the true death toll is likely far higher than that. According to reports from Beijing, hospitals are overwhelmed and funeral homes are cremating more people than usual. Meanwhile, an index capturing business confidence in china fell to its lowest level in a decade in november in the eu important here is that the lower motif brought french wheat into play against the algerian sale as we mentioned earlier this had not been the case previously moving to black seaweed russian and ukrainian wheat were the origins that did train into the algerian tender However, we note that there was no actual Russian seller willing to commit to February execution. We think there are several potential reasons for that. First, the weather remains very poor, which lowered the pace of shipments. For example, there are 92 vessels sitting in the Bosporus waiting for clearance. The Russian vessel lineup amounts to almost 2 million tons as bad weather continues to hit loadings. And Russian sellers are already heavily committed so that and the lineup is huge as mentioned. And the first part of the Algerian sale is nearly six weeks away from execution. There's also concern in the insurance market again. Initially some major European reinsurance companies stated that from January 1st onward they wanted to exclude the cover of any risks related to the war. This was followed by some PNI clubs also stating that they would refuse to cover on vessels loading Russian, Ukrainian, or Belarus, Belarus cargos. Meanwhile, Putin is in Minsk, reportedly trying to get Lukashenko to open up a second front on the Ukraine. We also note that Syria has now taken over 500,000 tons of Russian wheat stolen, question marks, wheat from the Crimean port of Sevastopol, reportedly on vessels that are under sanctions. So Russian fall prices seem to be falling, but despite this, the export tax continued to rise while the ruble continues its slide toward eight months low. Russian wheat is now quoted at 318 US dollars far down two bucks from last week. So how do we summarize the week? Well, politics involving the wheat markets continue on. And there are still several issues or problem areas surrounding wheat that will need to be monitored as we go forward. For example, next week's expected severe cold spell in the US causes concern with respect to the effect on the winter wheat crop. The size of Argentina's wheat crop continues to decline due to dryness. And Russia's late planted wheat remains at risk to cold temperatures. And finally, it is unclear how the renewed insurance problem will impact Black Sea exports. We expect wheat prices to be a little bit stronger in the new year because the balance sheet remains tight and Russian prices should rally. We would wait with new sales into the new year.
1: That's Marlena Borsch of Mercantile Consulting Venture in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Commodities Update and that's a presentation of Hackman Feeds. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board right now. January canola trading at eight fifty eight seventy up six dollars ten cents. March canola trading at eight fifty three fifty up seven dollars sixty cents. March Minneapolis wheat trading at nine seventeen per bushel, that's up eight and three quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at eight forty eight and a quarter up four and three quarters of a cent. March Chicago wheat, trading at 7.51 and three quarters, up three and a quarter cents. March corn, trading at 6 51 and a quarter, up four cents. January soybeans, trading at 14 and a quarter, that's up 17 and 5 cents. March oats, trading at 3 per bushel, up three quarters of a cent. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. GX and Agriculture will return right after this. Welcome back to GX and Agriculture. I'm Doug Faulkner. And we're back with Tammy Windsor. We heard from her yesterday. She's a graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan. She's conducting research into the provincial cougar population and is looking for input from farmers and ranchers.
4: If they find scat or tracks, if they see a cougar, even if they hear one, if they find a dead animal that they think was killed by a cougar, or if they even found a carcass of a cougar, all of that counts. For we could send that off to a lab and confirm whether or not it's a cougar.
1: She says it doesn't have to be a 2022 sighting.
4: I'm doing all historical data, so even if they've seen something like five or ten years ago, that's still important because that can tell me how cougars might be moving across the landscape over time. So, like, for example, I guess five years ago, they started trapping cougars in Cypress Hills because they had too many in that location. So that's going to tell me, I'm assuming, that people probably have seen less of cougars throughout the whole province over the last five years because ever since that trapping started. But maybe before that five years, you might see more. So it's really important for people to report cougars that they've seen throughout their lifetime in the province.
1: Windsor explains what she hopes this project will accomplish.
4: At the end of this project, I'm hoping to be able to determine their population distribution and their abundance throughout the province. And then the second thing I'm going to look into is see if they have corridors, like migratory routes, or if they have breeding populations. And then I can look up habitat selection to figure out what habitats are they selecting for and what are they not selecting for. And from there, I can do more predictions on where cougars might be now. Where to expect them because there's no way I can calculate where all the cougars are just based off public data. But you can use complicated data analysis to compensate for that. And then I'll also be looking at how cougars might be interacting with other species, like where their populations or territories overlap. And I might also look at the human index of where people throughout the province versus where cougars and where might some of these encounters be having.
1: She believes it's important to know where the cougars are being spotted.
4: Well, right now I'm doing a baseline study, as in we're just trying to discover the most basic ecological factors that we can determine with cougars. But that being said, that data could be used in future amongst doing additional studying to answer questions like that. So first you have to know where the cougars are before you can start answering all of the other possible questions. Once we know where there are cats, then it can become easier to manage them, which could lead into areas where people might be encountering cougars and having problems with them. But that would be like a side study.
1: Windsor says if someone has information about cougars, they can contact her.
4: They can either go onto my website, skcougars.ca, and on that website, they'll send them to a link in SurveyMonkey where they can report their encounter with a cougar, or they can email me directly at sk.cougars at utask.ca. And she notes
1: the study is being sponsored.
4: So it's sanctioned and sponsored by the University of Saskatchewan through the Department of Biology, and it's the Animal Population Lab.
1: Tammy Windsor is a graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan. She started a two-year study on the provincial cougar population. If you have seen cougar tracks or scat in your area, Tammy would like to hear from you. She can be reached by email at sk.cougars at usask.ca or by phone at 306-713-3639. Photos or reports of cougar sightings in previous years are welcome as well. It's now 1 o'clock. That means it's time for the GX94 Precision Weather Forecast for the Quill Lakes, Hudson Bay, Swan River, Broadview, Mooseman, Indian Head, and Yorkton, Melville, Roblin, Russell regions. An extreme cold warning is in effect. For today, a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of flurries, winds northwest at 10 to 20. A high of minus 24, a wind chill at times near minus 40. For tonight, cloudy, winds west northwest at 10 to 20, a low of minus 30 with a wind chill of minus 42. For tomorrow, partly sunny, winds north northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 23, a wind chill of minus 35. For Thursday, partly sunny, Winds northwest at 15 to 25, a high of minus 21, a wind chill of minus 33. For Friday, partly sunny, a high of minus 24. And Christmas Eve, Saturday sunny, a high of minus 22. In the Paw, it's minus 26 degrees. Swan River and Dauphin, minus 24. Brandon, minus 28 Show Lake-Russell minus 29, Roblin minus 27. Regina is at minus 32 degrees, Saskatoon minus 31, Hudson Bay minus 26, Broadview-Mooseman Indian Head minus 30, Wynyard-Wadena-Kelvington minus 27. The Yorkton-Melville region has a sunny sky. A west-northwest wind at 18 kilometers an hour. 70% is the relative humidity. The temperature is minus 26 degrees. With the wind chill, it feels more like minus 37 degrees. That's your agriculture weather, and that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program. It's time now for the news and sports headlines.